We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Ruins podcast. Alongside Matt Rooney, I am Joe Musso. This episode 213 of the pod. I think I mixed up the intro there, Matt, but we're going to roll with That's it. fine. Got a, good, got a good pod coming here. Uh, we're handing out trophies in hockey. One could be handed out in a week's time in basketball, baseball, reaching the Midsummer Classic. Some good news on the north side, or excuse me, on the south side, uh, north side. Could use some good news, but the streak is broken a night ago. We'll get to all that. We got some UFC talk and a little bit of college talk as well. But first and foremost, Matt Rooney, how are you? Doing lovely, Joe. Doing lovely. We got uh, kind of the downtime now here in sports with NBA and We're NHL trending, but that's okay because all that means is you know training camps about to open up, and then we got some football storylines to look forward to. And it's it's already July. Can't believe it. I can't wait to pick apart every rep by this quarterback room. Oh, just the, not not just, just but just the entire quarterback room. Andy Dalton. I want I want film. I want I want the end zone view of practice emailed to me every day. I want it all. I, I want, want to see all. Tyler Bray. I want to, I want to break down the entire I really, quarterback film. Room. I really really want some Tyler. Bray I, I almost dives. said David fails there, but Tyler Bray. Um, yeah, that would that would have been both of those would have been lost on me. I have not been able to look past uh, the one and the two uh, yeah. yet this year. That's- but different problem, different day, different conversation. Uh, let's start with baseball, Matt, as we let's. approach the Midsummer Classic. Here, it's been really fun, and I don't know if it's because you know, as you made the point, it, we're getting to that time of the year where things get a little thin and we're just sort of grasping at straws and looking wherever we can for mm-hmm. content um, everywhere in the sports media landscape. But I've been really dialed into the baseball season this year. Uh, there's been so many great storylines from the no-hitters early on to the uh, drama of the spider attack. And now we're kind of getting in more to the celebratory mood with um, Shohei Otani hitting his 32nd home run He's yesterday. So on pace for 60-61, so hopefully he can keep that pace and make for a really, really fun uh, tail end of the summer here. But um, we got the we got the home run derby coming up at Coors Field. Otani will be taking part in that. I believe Salvi Perez, Matt Olson, Joey Gallo. I know I'm missing a couple, but have they announced big, the full field for that, or does that still they have, still at? Okay, they have the full field. If you give me two, yeah, go ahead. Um, but you talk. I'll, I'll Google. You talk. It's uh, it's that time of year where we start um, where we start really keying in on who's who and what's what in, in baseball. And I think we learned a lot about uh, the Chicago Cubs over the last two weeks. Unfortunately, they positioned themselves squarely as sellers after an 11 game losing streak, the longest losing streak on the North side since I believe 2012. Um, really, really tough watch, really, really tough time for Cubs fans. They do get back in the win column with an offensive explosion on Wednesday night, but, um, I think it's pretty clear uh, which direction they're going to be heading at the deadline. On the other side of town, you got the White Sox, who are eight games clear in the division despite you know playing 500 baseball for the last week. And you get the news today that Eloy Jimenez uh, will be making his rehab start in Winston-Salem, I believe, beginning Friday, if I'm not mistaken. If I, I think I, I read believe that that's correctly. correct, yes. Um, so Tomorrow. more power coming to that lineup. The, you do take the hit of Yasmani Grandal being out for a month, a month and a half with that uh, ligament issue in his calf knee area. Really freak accident that's, again, 
trying to hamper. Uh, no one's trying to hamper the White Sox, but they've just had these weird I haven't seen anything soft like this. tissue injuries, and they've been able to survive it all. Um, I'm done vamping here, Matt, because I'm sure you have the uh, roster in front of you by now. So tell us, tell us about this uh, about this home run. Well, our home, that, that was great fill time. You took it Thank just you. elsewhere. Thank I had you. I had it minute, I had it minutes ago. It's like you do this for a living. Uh, we have our, our first. We even have first round matchups. So we got Otani versus Juan Soto, Joey Gallo versus the the hometown hero Trevor Story, Matt Olson versus one of the best stories in baseball this year, Trey Mancini, and Salvi Perez and Pete Alonso. Yeah, I was forgetting Alonso. So I think. You know, I was also reading more about it, too. I, I'm a big home run derby guy. Some people it's don't fun. like it. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And we are going to see record-breaking home runs. Maybe not in numbers, but in distance, 100%. Oh. Uh, we're at Coors Field. We're at altitude. you got the juiced baseballs. you got some of the best hitters over the last decade, and they're not putting the balls in the humidor. I saw they that. They do for games. At Coors. You're going to see 500-plus-foot 500, 500 home runs. It's going to be an absolute show. And I can't wait for it. I, I, I'm very, very excited. I think we should do a. We should do. You know how we've been doing like the golf ball bet. We should. We should pick a guy in the home run derby and do a do a each other a dozen bet. baseballs. Yeah, doesn't just you know, ship, you, <laughs> ship you a box of Wilson. A dozen pearls. <laughs> oh God. Um, but um, outside of outside of just the home run derby and the novelty there, it's been really good baseball. Let's key in on the south side here, Matt. You're obviously ear to the ground, yeah. close to the situation, um, with some sources inside the the franchise as well. Why have they been able? How have they been able to weather each one of these storms as they've come and seemingly? I don't want to say get better, but get better in the face of adversity. You know, you, you just you have to. Credit one Rick Hahn for building up the depth in these organizations and finding these value guys, whether it was Billy Hamilton, mid-spring training, who's turned out to be a really, really valuable pickup, whether it's been uh, Brian Goodwin, who he you know picked up off the street a um, couple months into the year, and he, he's kind of picked it up. But you, just, you have to credit the clubhouse um the, the clubhouse leadership the vibe whatever you want the environment all that kind of stuff because if there isn't that sense of belief that you know we're still good that it's next man up it's just not going to work and clearly there is that sense of belief you can tell after every one of these big blows they've suffered that team has come back and bounced back with a win or a big performance or something like that so there's clearly the the mental strength is is very high. It's, it's a mentally strong team, clearly. And say what you want. We made all of our jokes in the beginning of the year. And has he been perfect? No. Is he going to be perfect going forward? No. You have to credit the manager for keeping well, this ship, you know, keeping this ship afloat, keeping guys, was, putting guys, you know, one step, one foot in front of the other. Next man up. We're just going to keep going, keep going, keep going. There has been no panic from the manager's office. It's just it, it's it's been a very good managerial job outside of a few, you know, outlier outlier issues moments that have kind of been rightfully you know mocked a little bit tony larus has done a very good job and you have to admit that at this point i thought you were going to get through that whole uh, diatribe there without saying his name like, no. he's, Vold- like he's voldemort well, or every- something. I, the I one we no do not speak of yeah, well, okay well that was going to be my that was going to be my follow-up there it's like are we at the juncture where we are ready to not only give tony larus credit for keeping the ship afloat but are we ready to call him one of the reasons for it? Because my whole, you know, my whole line the entire season has been they're winning in spite of him. It has nothing to do with him. I don't think big league managers 
have a whole lot of impact on the day-to-day success of a baseball team. I just don't. I think you turn in the lineup card, and if you have a good enough team, and if you have veteran leadership, you let those guys set the tempo, mm-hmm. set the vibe, and, and you go win baseball games. You make your pitching changes when you need to make your pitching changes, and ideally, you undermanage and not overmanage. But... When you get into situations like this where guys are continually being taken off of your roster due to injury, mm-hmm. at, at some point, there's got to be a pat on the back, a tip of the hat, and a golf clap for, for the manager. I, I'm totally with you in that I don't think, I think in all sports other than you know managing a bullpen, I don't think that the baseball manager, I think the baseball manager is probably the least important. Um, but do I think he is the reason that the White Sox are winning these games? No, I think the reason they're winning these games is because the starting pitching has been phenomenal. You have to credit Rick Hahn uh, for going out and getting Lance Lynn, signing Dallas Keuchel, who has actually probably been their number five starter, if anything, yeah. this year. Um, you, you know, Adding all these veteran pieces, you have to credit Jose Abreu and Tim Anderson, the, the two guys that have, with the exception of Anderson's DL stint to start the year, um, the two guys that have been healthy kind of the whole way and put the offense on their back at times. You have to credit the players. But, yeah, like, like you were saying, at some point it, it's it's about it, when – when you're a baseball, when you're playing baseball, when you're playing any sport, it, it, you kind of follow the mindset of your head coach. I've kind of always believed that. Like, if you see your head coach calm, manager, whatever you want to call it, calm, not panicking, going about his business, you're going to kind of do the same thing. You're going to kind of follow that lead. If you see a Rick Renneria making 15 different bullpen changes in, a, in an elimination game, and you, you can sense the panic, you're going to start pressing a little bit because yeah. you're going to, you, you know, you're you. It's only natural to kind of follow the lead of your leader, um, and I, I think you have to credit Tony Larusa's not really over management of this team because some teams, some managers might try and do that. He's plugged in the veterans he's gotten. He's mixed around with the lineup a little bit, but for, but for the most part, has just kind of let the team go play baseball despite who's out there. And I, I, I think you have to credit the guy for that. Um, you make great points. I agree across the board. I, I'm at that. I'm at that. I'm getting over the hill, or I'm getting over the hump on uh, on Tony Larusa and some of the boneheadedness that we saw earlier on in the season. As long as we can just kind of steer clear of that in the second half, keep the focus on the baseball, keep the focus on the guys doing the job. Um, I think that uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to start saying manager of the year, but usually the team that wins the World Series or that's right around the World Series, um, they have that type of conversation. And in mm-hmm. the face of this adversity. He'll no doubt be considered uh, as one of the top managers in baseball at the age of five thousand three hundred, or however old he is. Yeah, um, and again, I'm not. Say, I, I don't mean to sound like I'm singing the praises of the guy because I'm still not going to sit here and tell you he's to. the best hire. At but some point at you some to. point, like yeah. you, you got, I think I saw it was uh, Mark Silverman, ESPN one thousand. You know, someone was saying like, "Hey, you guys ready to give Tony Lewis some credit?" He's like, "No, not really." Like, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> like, it's to? basically like. Well, he didn't do anything stupid in July. It's like okay, cool. Like that's, we're, at the, we're at the All Star break, and the team has an eight win, eight or eight game lead. Like literally, that that's the that's biggest thing for a manager. Not that's, doing anything that's, that's the job description as a major league baseball manager. Don't do anything stupid. Mm-hmm. You're not teaching guys how to throw. You're not teaching guys how to catch. You're not teaching guys how to get to double play depth. You're not teaching the shift. It's Hand in the lineup card. Yeah. Get out of the way. These are the best in the world. It does not require 
in-depth man. It does not require over-management. Look at the teams that are over-managing. I'm sure there's an inverse relationship between the list of most pitching changes and record. I, I, I would love to see that number because I, I really think that sometimes these managers, because they have so many, so many outlets and so many facilities at their hand and so many numbers and so much data that they start becoming prisoner to that data and mm-hmm. managing. I don't think Tony Lewis has done that. I think that this team has really balanced the analytic side and the feel side of the game because so many clubhouses have lost that feel side of the game and you lose baseball games that and that's, way. That's what we talked about after the World Series last year when, when Kevin Cash pulled Blake Snell when he was absolutely dominating I mean, just because the analytics said... Could you imagine, well, could you imagine the, if he didn't? Could yeah. you imagine if he didn't? Tam- no one would have a championship trophy except the, the great city of Tampa Bay. We, we might be talking... <laughs> I mean, they certainly would have gone to a Game 7 in all likelihood in that. And like, it's, it, that's what baseball is all about. It's about balancing out the analytics with the field because... Both have their value, absolutely, but neither has the value exclusively. Yeah, um, uh, I do want to ask you. As, maybe as an outside, that is no. Go I was going to say before you go. Maybe that is the value of having a, a coach who's a little long in the tooth. Is that like, all right, yeah, I, I see your analytic stuff, but mm-hmm. at the same time, baseball's been played this way for a yeah, hundred years. We're gonna we're gonna do it this way. Great. I'm going to take a lot of that into account, and I'm also going to still going to make use, my own decisions. Use my brain and my eyeballs and my gut, yeah. which I, I think is exactly how you should do everything in sports when you're managing a team. But I want to ask you is is more of, you know, the, the guy that's not living in the city, that's not living, listening to Chicago sports radio every day, all the Mm -hmm. the time, watching the team from a little bit more of an outside perspective. Not that you don't keep a close eye on it, but deadline is coming up at the end of the month. Obviously people are starting to come back with, with, with Eloy being the the headliner there coming up, hopefully at the end of the all-star break, he'll be back in the lineup. But, where is your if you're Rick Hahn by July 31st? If you're saying I need to get I can add one, you know, big impact position. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there might be some minor moves, but where are you? In, where would you like to see Rick Hahn add if he can only add you know one big impact position? I mean, catcher depth doesn't really exist mm-hmm. across baseball or in anyone's farm no. system. Really, that's kind of a fallacy. Uh, catcher depth. So I don't think you do a whole lot there. Middle relief. I, I kind of would like to see a little something addressed in middle relief. I, I know you got crochet and some other arms in there and big power arms, but I still get a little worried in that setup spot before we get to Liam Hendricks. Um, I think I'd like to see that addressed a little bit outside of that. You have so many options across the outfield, especially with the emergence of um, which McCall it in center. Um, Hamilton, Goodwin, yeah, like, <laughs> name, name your center field. Hamilton was the one that came to mind. But um, I think we're good across the outfield. The infield is pretty much set, especially if you're going to have Eloy coming back in a DH role. You're mm-hmm. good there. It gives you some more options to get guys days here and there. Middle relief and catcher, I think, is really, really where you could take this thing up a notch and, and prepare yourself for a, a deep run. Yeah. Now, for for me, it's I'm with you on wanting to add a catcher, but more so. I, I know Zach Collins isn't the best defensively, but he seems to handle the pitching staff well. Yeah. And if you can go out and find, didn't he catch Giolito's? Yeah, he's. I, I believe he's. No, kind Ro- of been, Rodon's no no. Uh, he's. He yeah. He did catch Rodon's no no. Not that that's that. an indication of anything. Um, it was just I, a, aside. I, I'm fine with it. 
this is all assuming that Grandal, like he you know said on his Instagram the other day, like the Sox have said that he fully plans on being back in the second half at some point and can come mm-hmm. back and also catch, not just be a be a DH or a first baseman. Um, I, I would like to see you go out and get some sort of veteran option, whether that's off the street, whether that's in you know someone's backup catcher, just a very good defensive catcher. I, yeah. I, I go get me a backup that can just it, it can be a late inning sub or that can be a, you know a personal catcher for a guy that just I don't care how bad he is at hitting, throw him at nine in the lineup, have him be a really good defensive catcher. That'd be great. Um, I see if like, San Francisco see if San Francisco's really sold if they want to pull like a like a Brady Garoppolo thing, like where he thought Brady was done. So they went and got Garoppolo. They thought Posey was done and, and like it's Joey Bart time in San Francisco, but now Posey is playing amazing. Let's go yeah. get Joey Bart, I guess. Is, let's go get the the best catching prospect in baseball. Deal. That, that shouldn't cost done. very much. Call him uh, up. He's ready. Shouldn't, co- shouldn't cost all that much at all. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm very much with you. I would like to see maybe two bullpen arms. The, the, the bullpen yeah. outside of Liam Hendricks has been wildly inconsistent. Uh, Ryan mm-hmm. Burr has been, very solid the last couple weeks, but I don't expect him to be this good all year. Cody Hoyer hasn't been himself. Matt Foster hasn't been himself. Aaron Bummer has shown kind of flashes, but now he's back on the IL. And I, as much as I like him, I, I kind of would like to see him more of it until he proves he can handle that eight, eighth inning role again, have him be the seventh inning guy slash left-handed guy, whatever you want to call him. Cause if he's your seventh inning guy, I think you're in great shape. Go out and find, I, I know they're everyone's looking for him. All contenders are looking for him at the deadline. But go out and find me the best bullpen arm you can, and have him be your eighth inning guy. I would have said a second baseman would have been nice, but with Jake Berger coming up and kind of having some reps there, and, and with Larry Garcia, as much as it pains me to say, has been pretty darn solid. He, he can kind of be a second base, a switch hitting second baseman that hits at the bottom of the order, plays okay defense. I, I don't think that's really a top need anymore. Uh, you got to go out and add to this bullpen one, if not two arms. I, I think that's the most glaring need right now. Yeah, I, I think that you're right. And I think that, uh, you know, with the way that they are positioned, it's it's nice to be a buyer. It's nice to have those uh, minute problems. Mm-hmm. Um, transitioning to the north side, there's, there's a whole different situation going on. Now. Oh, yeah. It feels like... Not too long ago, probably two weeks ago, we were talking about buyers, sellers. What are they doing? Do you think it's sustainable? And I really maintain that it felt like a house of cards. Pitching's going to give up at some point because they're outperforming expectation mightily, and they've come back to earth. They've come back to that expectation. They lost 11 in a row uh, going on Wednesday when they pulled that one off of Philly mm-hmm. um, to round out that series. Matt, just your assessment and some of the uh, local sentiments surrounding this team. Is everybody essentially on the same page? I've seen a lot of caps, tweets. I've seen a lot of uh, – uh, a lot of negativity, obviously. It's hard to be positive during an 11-game losing streak, but I've seen a lot of people calling for the come-to-Jesus moment, burn it to the ground, sell it off, start over. Yeah, mo- most Cubs fans, whether that's you know the, the ones on the, on the air or just you know diehard Cubs mm-hmm. fans that are there every day, they're all pretty much in the same boat here. It's it, They had some fun during that you know month or so run they had this year, but I, I think everybody, like you were saying, kind of knew it was a little bit more of a house of cards, that the pitching just wasn't really there. It, it, what Their run was basically built on 
Patrick Wisdom hitting like an MVP and Chris Bryant <laughs> being the NL yeah. MVP. And when, when those things, not that Chris Bryant is a great player, he still is, but he's just not on an MVP pace anymore. He's on a, a really, really good pace. And Patrick Wisdom is kind of, I don't want to say he's come back down to earth because he's still been really good, but he's not hitting a home run every game anymore. Um, this is this happening when it's happening is the best possible thing for the Cubs, in, in my opinion, and I think most Cubs fans would probably admit that. This team, whether they were able to put a run together and win a division, was still not going to win a World Series, and then you're going to have to deal with all these contracts, get nothing back for them. Now you at least kind of know that you have some you have some pieces to move and the decisions kind of been made for you early enough that you can get a bidding war going for a Chris get a little Bryant. bit of you, a return. Yeah. You might be able to get a bidding war. You can definitely get a bidding war going for Craig Kimbrell, the way he's throwing. I mean, we just talked about the White Sox needing a bullpen arm. Craig Kimbrell might be the top bullpen arm on the market right now. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you want to consider moving a, a Javi Baez or an Anthony Rizzo, which I know those might be guys they probably look to extend a little bit more, but the, you have your options, and it's happening early enough where you can kind of get that all done now. And it's it's best that you do it now and get those pieces for your future. It just now is. now in looking at the sellables and looking at who you want to move, and obviously teams are going to come to the table looking for Chris Bryant, mm-hmm. looking for Kimbrel, looking for Rizzo, some veteran help there, looking for Javi, who by all estimations is going to be a plus defender. A plus hitter, mm-hmm. an MVP hopeful for the next maybe five, ten years. Um, I think that Rizzo and Baez should remain untouchable. Everyone else is for sale. I think, and I don't think that should be the approach they take. I think everyone should be for sale, but I think that the Cubs front office, I think the way that we've seen this team run more like a business and less like a team mm-hmm. uh, since the exit of Theo Epstein. I think that that's going to be the going line. We just built a, we just renovated a stadium. We just built a city around that stadium. Mm-hmm. We have suites. We have boxes that need to be filled. We have a future of this franchise that does not con- that does not include a three year dark period. Mm-hmm. From a business standpoint, we cannot go through a three year dark period. Yes, the north side, they're always going to pack the stadium. Fans are always going to be there through thick and thin. They'll be there to yell at their team and be angry about the futility. That's all well and good. But I think that there's a certain business approach by those making the decisions for the Cubs right now where it's not going to be a complete sell off. They are going to one foot in, one foot out, try and maintain some sort of fan experience through the play on the field. And I think that means keeping Anthony Rizzo at the very bare minimum. Yeah. I think Javi Baez will be a part of that as well, but um, I, I don't think you're going to see it burnt to the ground per se. I, I, don't th- I, I don't think so either because of what you just mentioned. This ownership has kind of shown that they're more worried about making all their money back than they are necessarily doing about what's best for the on-field product. Um, I don't know. I would just – I'm – very, very hesitant. I know Baez sells jerseys and Baez is the name and Baez is the fan favorite. That might ultimately be a decision maker. But like, I'd be really hesitant to build around Javi Baez for the, like, he had the one year. For that sure, he but was, that's my point is that they're not necessarily building yeah. around those pieces. They're building around whatever they the can brands. for the other guys yeah. and letting those brand names be the guys who prop up 
the business side of things. I don't, it's, it's very counterintuitive. I just I don't know what Javi Baez wants financially. Yeah. I, that would very Everybody. much scare me. He wants me. the world. He and wants I, the moon. He does. He wants He's, 10 years Five hundred million and the moon. That's fair. That's probably I don't, I, what they're I don't, asking. I don't know what he's going to get, <laughs> but if he's a, if he's asking for an eight year contract, I'd be very very hesitant to give that to him. I, I would. Yeah. I just. I just. The problem with those two guys, like Rizzo, wants to get paid. Rizzo gave you the team friendly deal, and I know he's older, so deserves he's not going to get the long. Deal. He does deserve it at this point. He like, he took the team friendly deal to get you guys, help you guys, where you know be where you are. He, he won your World Series. He was the captain, all this all this good stuff. He hasn't really made his big payday. I think he's on what was like a seven-year, like 40-something million dollar contract. So you know, that wasn't like that big of a deal by any means. He wants $100 million. And is, is the brand, his brand, important enough for $25 million a year for the next five years for an aging yeah. first baseman with a bad back? That's yeah. Javi Baez is his brand. You know, if he wants 20 some a year for six years is right this year, he's got no PS seven seventy eight. He has, I mean, he, he's hitting the ball out of the park, but he's also straight. He's on pace for most strikeouts of his career by far. Like, is that a guy you want to pay 20, 25 mil a year to? I'm not really sure. So it, they at least have the pieces to, to move that. I know they're, I'm with you. I don't think they're going to move off all of them, but mm-hmm. they at least have the pieces to, gauge the interest and see what they can get the most back for. Anthony Rizzo's career earnings total in $60,240,422, okay. which is absolutely criminal. I mean, not... That's no, but this say, is, but it's an insane amount of money, for but for a baseball go- player... Four-time yeah. gold glove winner, a guy who was the heartbeat of a championship team mm-hmm. who was on the front end of a rebuild and kind of took this team out of the doldrums this year, he's making the most money he's ever made in his career, sixteen million five, and that's the most money he's made by five and a half million dollars. He's only made eight figures in two years of yeah. his, I believe, ten-year career. He made eleven million in twenty nineteen. Stepped back to six million last year. Is making sixteen million this year. Um, that doesn't feel right in terms of just relative to mm-hmm. the way Major League Baseball players are paid. Um, but to your point. Can the Chicago Cubs be the team to pay him? Well, they can, but is that in line with what they're trying to do or what they have to do over the next few years? No, it's not. I um, think the so I'd be really see interested. Him in Tampa, back home. I know he's a what's he a Fort Lauderdale kid? Um, My, yeah, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, that area. Yeah, God forbid they send him to Miami. Um, oh, I don't. I, he might not like, even want to go there. Just go to go across. Yeah, but at the, the same time, if it's about the hundred, the if it's about the hundred million. Go yeah, live on you, South Beach, get fair. your hundred million, be home, win forty games a year, be home. Um, you, you got your championship. Maybe, uh, maybe you go for the guaranteed money now. And I, I think Anthony Rizzo, at this point of his career, uh, is immune, or uh, or he should not be at the mercy of public. Uh, outcry or perception no. like go do what you want Anthony. yeah you've accomplished I mean, it. he's he's, it. he's going to have a statue outside you're, of wrigley field one day no matter what you're forever yeah you're a you're a curse breaker you come back for the statue ceremony but um again is it, that what the cubs will do i don't know is it what they should do probably the um, name so. i'm really intrigued to see how they approach how they go about it because i if you we, we joked about you know the Sox following the Cubs lead when they did the rebuild and kind of following that path and they're still kind of on that path and if you know 
everything's cyclical and it seems like the Cubs are heading back that path. The biggest trade, one of the biggest trades the Sox made was shipping off Jose Quintana on a team-friendly deal and getting back a lot more than he deserved. The Cubs have a guy like that right now. The Cubs have Kyle Hendricks locked up. Uh, I believe it's the next three years with a vesting option for the fourth at $14 million a year. He, a big is, piece. he has been very he this year has been a little bit down. He had the slow start, but he's got the ERA back ERA back down. He's trending the right way. He's he's a very, very, very valuable piece to any contender that's because of yeah, his that's contract. Not a and tough sell for a team looking for a third, fourth arm. That's a guy I mean, you saw what the Sox got for Jose Quintana. I love Jose Quintana. He was nothing more than a fine number two, a good number three. That's kind of what he he had the the year where he was kind of an ace, and that's but look what the Sox got back from the Cubs. That's the guy that I'm trying to move one because the contract is so valuable, and two because I don't think that's a very hard sell to the Ricketts as well as he is is as much of a value as he is to them. He's not his jerseys aren't flying off the racks. He's not on a sure. billboard. He's a quiet, go about his business kind of guy. He's not this big cash cow, you know merchandise guy to them that's that's probably an easy sell for them that's a guy that i'm i'm looking to shop fairly aggressively in the next couple weeks because he already it's Um, not like he's 27 he's 31 so by the time that you're getting back to where you want to get you know he's 33 34 that's mm -hmm. that's not a guy that you want to you know have being that's the that's the name that i'd be most intrigued about moving i I think your head's in the right place there um but it'll be interesting to see what both of these ball clubs do over the next couple of weeks, but we do have to keep this thing rolling. Uh, Stanley Cup final, not finals, uh, was awarded on Wednesday night. The Tampa Bay Lightning become the ninth franchise in league history and the first since the 2016-2017 Penguins to go back to back. Uh, they become the second franchise in the last, I believe, 28 years to do so. Really, really steep hill and tough feat uh, in the era of the salary cap. And they don't just do it back-to-back. They go to the bubble in Canada last year, um, void of all joy, void of their families, Mm -hmm. void of a crowd. They get a weird one there. Then they double down this year and essentially say, we got the best goalie in the world, we got two of the best defensemen in the world, and we got three of the best goal scorers in the world. What do you want to do? It's a gentleman's sweep in five games over Montreal. Matt, your, your prevailing thoughts here out of the Stanley Cup final. I don't know how much of that game you watched last night, but just the, the, that game was is the last two games I should say have been. I know it was a it was a the Lightning were clearly the better team. I know it was a four one series, but those last two games were as competitive as any really, games really we've good. seen. In Physical, the I think. I think like almost a hundred combined hits, or, or like a hundred and four combined hits in the game last night. It was. I, I it was great for the game. I, I know the markets probably weren't exactly what they wanted, but I know Tampa's probably not the market Tampa's that the, the, NH- the right NHL was, <laughs> that NHL was hoping to kind of have a dynasty form. But like, I just it, it, there's not much. Of it. it was you had the two best goalies in the world going at it, and last night they they lived up to that billing. You had star power on both sides, and it is as high intensity level as the play was last night who got the actual game winner. It was late in the second period, and it was a bottom six forward that just went to the front of the net. And that was – I was talking about with my brother Mike earlier. Last night was just your prototypical – like that was a elimination game in the playoffs. That's everything you look for. Tightly contested, not a whole lot of A-plus chances, and converting on one of them usually kind of being like the just 
doing the fundamental fundamental thing getting in front of the net. I had so much fun watching that series. It helped that I, I did have uh, Andre Vasilevsky shutout prop bet at plus five seventy five. That was pretty nice. Um, well, that is that is that was the that was nice. ticket that you needed to tweet because I, the man. Oh, sorry, in, it, was, it was technically but, Canadians under half a goal. I should there was uh, no, okay whatever. The Vassy shutout in closeout game streak now is that four five. in a row or five in a row? Five, right, dating, counting, all four this last year's, back to last counting year. last year's cup. They won one nothing in last year's clincher as well. Uh-huh. So in closeout games in their in their series winners, he has not allowed a goal in the last five clinchers. Unbelievable, without a doubt, the best in the world right now. Now there's nuances to goalkeeping and and being a goalie that I will never understand, and mm-hmm. I venture to say you'll never understand. Yep. But from Correct. where I'm sitting, the man is an absolute force in net, and we talk about it year after year, series after series. If you want to win a Stanley Cup, you better have one of the top three goalies in the game. And Tampa does. He's a monster. He's. I don't know if you did. You see Nikhil Kucherov's post game press conference? Yeah, yesterday? it was it was fantastic. If you haven't, it's the greatest. It's the greatest five minutes that you can spend today is watching Nikita Kucherov, drunken, shirtless at the podium, chugging Bud Lights. Talking we'll we'll about see. It. We'll see if I can get a, a little bite of it into into, into this. If we could splice that in, I'll here see what is, I can do for you. To be able to win this game is huge. Wasi was outstanding. MVP. I was telling him every day. Wasi, you MVP. You you're the best player. And then they gave it to whatever the guy in Vegas, the Vezina. And then last year, they, they gave Vizna to somebody else. Number one bullshit. Oh, number one bullshit. Vice, he took both cups. You know, he took MVP, and I was keep telling him, he's MVP. He's the guy that fucking, <laughs> he's the best. You know, he was on his head today, and, you know, he kept us in the game. And another shout-out by him, remarkable. Can't even tell more. I'm so happy we... <laughs> I didn't want to go back to Montreal, but they acted, the fans in Montreal, come on. They acted like they won the Stanley Cup last game. Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. Um, just hilarious start to finish. He's, he, he kept saying number one bullshit. He goes, you know, Vassy, I tell him he is MVP. He is MVP. They give it to the guy, whatever his name is in Vegas, talking about Mark andre mm-hmm. Fleury. He goes, that, that, and then last year they gave it to someone else. It's number one bullshit. He's best in the world. And, he really is. Vasilevsky is the best in the world right now, and that was the reason that they won game five and closed it out and didn't have to go back to Montreal, which had been a whole different conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was simply spectacular, again, in a closeout spot, and that's that's the measure of a championship team. Is Because Tampa, for as good as they've been, for as amazing as they've been, you know, one through four, really line wise. I think what was Ross Colton, the guy who scored the game winner, the, the mm-hmm. lone goal the other night. I think it was fourth line goal. From bottom State bottom State. six guy. I don't know their actual know lineup, but he's out. a he's a bottom but six guy. It had to been maddening for Tampa Bay fans because they had so many uh, high pressure chances that they were going for the extra pass, looking for that mm-hmm. wide open backdoor cage rather than just turning a puck on the net. And we're yelling shoot, 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 as if it's our team. But with a one goal lead, you can be selective. You can try and you can try and uh, massage possession a little bit and keep the puck in the zone and just pressure the forecheck and be content in the fact that we're up one nothing and the guy in net probably isn't going to let one up. Um, let's just let's just look for that a one chance. Um, that's that what did. that was, game last a, night, and as you said, those 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 last two games of that series were about awesome. as good as it gets. Awesome. Yeah. That that game last night had I, I 
don't mean to be a homer here. It had such a feel of the Hawks two nothing win over Tampa in fifteen. It was mm-hmm. a back and forth, tightly contested, you know, trading chance for chance early on. The Hawks got one because Duncan Keith followed a shot, got to the front of the net late in the second. And then the only difference is, you know, the the Hawks did make that extra pass, and because they did, were able to, to convert on a goal because they had a two on one. But it was just it, it was it just brought back good memories to that. But that the, the yeah, way the way Tampa about- played and how Andre Vasilevsky played last night to down the stretch when the you know Tampa kind of went into more of a defensive mode, a little bit of a shutdown, not not full like not full defensive mode because you can't really do that, but kind of went into a little bit of a protection mm-hmm. mode. Vasilevsky was just do- fantastic down the yeah. stretch. Um, how about that as a full circle moment? I mean, you mentioned the 2015 Hawks. Mm-hmm. A good part of this Tampa core was on that team that mm-hmm. sat there and watched the Hawks hoist the cup in Chicago. Uh, no team between the Hawks and Tampa a night ago has won on home ice. Which is a, which was a wild. Team, a team won on home ice and, and got to celebrate in front of their fans and skate the cup on their home ice. So really just a full circle moment with them winning in a shutout on home ice with that core that was on the team in 2015. You gotta be, you can't be anything but happy for Tampa Bay unless you're Montreal. But, well, then, um, then you might not be too yeah. thrilled for them. What are you going to uh, do? I, it was to Montreal came into the playoffs with the worst record of any t- of the 16 teams that qualified for the playoffs. So you were kind of playing with house money at this yeah. point. I'm just not going to sound, I know I'm a, I'm a bigger hockey fan than most on this podcast. I'm now really excited to see how Tampa handles this offseason. There's the, the joke. In yeah, they got some decisions to make. They, they got they some got decisions. Some. They were like $18 million over the salary cap because of how they manipulated it and people wanted to you know give them crap for it. I don't know why they would get crap for it. Like, they just manipulated the cap under all of the rules. Yeah, they, they played do, within the rules. They, they played within the rules, but it, it is gonna, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it. And there's... You got Vladimir Tarasenko requesting a trade this morning. There's there's going to be some awesome movement this offseason. I, I I know I'm a little bit, like I was saying, more of a hockey fan than than most that probably listen to this podcast. But I, I'm really excited to see how those things develop, how the Hawks get involved. Maybe at some point we'll get our, our correspondent north of the border, Dave Poulin, back on here to walk us through some things. But I'm, I'm very excited now that the Cup is over to see how this offseason unfolds because this is going to be one of the more active, big-name movement ones we've seen in a long time. Yep. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun to see if they can become the first team since the 84-83 Islanders to go three straight. That was those Islanders teams that won four mm-hmm. straight uh, in the early 80s. That's now what Tampa is tasked with. And again, you got the big cat net. You got a chance. I don't care who's out in front of them. No, uh, he's the best be, goalie in the world. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, game two of the NBA Finals on the way tonight. That being Thursday night, uh, the Suns took game one. Quite handedly, uh, despite Giannis being available, puffing it out, giving it a go, and really looking like Giannis uh, in game one. He was not the reason for the loss. Uh, He had 20 points, 17 rebounds, now a little thin on the scoring side of thing in terms of Giannis' expectation or his his average points per game. But uh, Chris Paul just looks like a man possessed right now, a man that really wants his first championship. And that's what strikes me about the Phoenix Suns is not just their top-tier guys, not just the fact that they have a little budding big three in Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton, who was a rebound away from a 2020 game. I believe he was 22 and 19, and Chris Paul ripped the rebound away from him. They were kind of they were kind of joking about it post game that like, mm-hmm. Chris Paul was the only person in the in the arena not aware that uh, DeAndre Ayton was was a board away from a 2020 game with like a minute <laughs> left. But uh, besides the point, not only are those guys producing, but 
they got it done in game one with Jay Crowder not making a shot, and he's been amazing. Um, Dario Saric goes down, he's out. So I think that I think it's going to be a six-game series, one way or the other. I, I don't think I don't think there's, that we can overreact to what the Suns did in Game One, but I do think that the Suns are more apt to the moment. Chris Middleton has been great these playoffs. Drew Holiday has been great, an amazing addition to that team. But they certain nights they just go away. Yeah, certain nights they're just not there. And with a star player in Giannis who's obviously playing hurt. Um, again, not that, I mean, he had a track down block that would have made LeBron blush. Um, he, he's still a top tier on both ends of the court guy, but at the same time, somebody has got to step up and I'm not sure that, um, I'm not sure that Milwaukee is entirely aware of the moment. And if they are, they're not executing as if they're aware of the moment. No, it, it seems like Chris Middleton has kind of been the one to step up and, and- yeah, Giannis isn't fully healthy, but I like, like you said, I thought he was fine. It what he wasn't the reason they lost. It was more because of how the Suns played. But like, it seems like outside of Chris Middleton, when you and when Giannis is in the lineup, the rest of the lineup, like Drew Holiday, tends to kind of defer a little bit more and kind of gets thrown off their game. Like the two games they played without him, those guys seem to step up in the moment more. And I think that's more of a problem of those guys. Giannis makes you, you have to learn how to kind of balance those two things. Um, and in terms of the Suns, I mean, Chris Paul, just like you were saying, he's a man on a mission right now. I just, I don't, think he's going to lose this series I, I i think the bucks probably get theirs here and there maybe maybe a couple in milwaukee maybe one here but i, I think phoenix wins it in five or six i mean they they won devin booker was one of eight from three pretty much all of his points came for or 10 of his 27 came from the free throw line like he mm-hmm. didn't even play his best game he didn't shoot his best he didn't have his best shooting performance and he still win by 13 it, it, your your assessment of the Suns seem more aware of the moment Mm-hmm. Uh, seems to be but, a pretty fitting one. For me. But I refuse to overreact because because they are. But this is a this is exactly who the Bucks are. The Bucks are zero and six straight up and against the number in their last six game ones. Like they just don't they just don't show up in game ones. But they've come this far. They've been able to rally back from zero mm-hmm. one deficits in each of those series. Obviously, or maybe not not the first one because that was last year when they lost. But they. They just really don't have that sense of urgency in any level of the playoffs now here in the NBA Finals where I do still think that we, we have yet to see the Bucks' best punch in this series. That's why I'm not writing them off. I'm not counting them out in any way, shape, or form um, because there's going to be the Middleton 33, 35-point night. There's going to be the Drew Holiday 27-point night. Now, you need to win in those uh, offensive mm-hmm. explosions, and you can't give one up. But let's say they go out tonight on Thursday night and they win in Phoenix, well, that completely changes the complex of this series. You take one off of Phoenix on their home wood, heading back to Milwaukee with momentum, two at home. You could be looking at a 3-1 series heading back to Phoenix. Everything changes in a night's time. So I think that the NBA, more play, in, in any more than any other sport, the NBA, we are apt in these seven-game series to overreact to a single out. Probably right. Now, do I think that... Do I think that um, we're overreacting right now. No, I think we're just spelling out what we're seeing. But at the same time, things can change in one quarter's time in the NBA. I'll, I'll agree with you there, and that Milwaukee's obviously started slow throughout these playoffs. I, I do think this is probably the best team they've gone up against, or will have had to come back against, because obviously sure. Brooklyn was the best team they went up against, and then Brooklyn got hurt. 
And then they were like Brooklyn went up two nothing. Granted, when Brooklyn's fully healthy, they're they're better than everybody. But Brooklyn went up two nothing, and Milwaukee didn't really have a puncher's chance until Harden mm-hmm. went down. And Kyrie was banged up, and then obviously Kyrie went down fully, and it was you know basically the Bucks against Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant almost wins the series. I love the Atlanta Hawks. I love Trey Young. I, I think they're you know headed in the right direction, and they'll probably be a force. But that team just kind of wasn't all that great. They were a young team that kind of got too far or you know, farther than anyone expected and probably farther than they were supposed mm-hmm. to be. Phoenix is a bona fide NBA championship contender team. Like th- this is the best team they've had to go up against. Yeah, but at the same time and like I'm not going to take away from what Phoenix has done, mm-hmm. but they've they've been the beneficiaries of the same Fair enough. They've the got same those same sort boxes. of injury uh plagued road that they've run through. LA without Anthony Davis, uh Utah they beat Utah, right? No. Who beat Utah? Clippers beat Utah. They beat Clippers beat Utah. They beat the Clippers without Kawhi. Like the there's, there's there's they beat the Lakers without AD. And then they Clippers swept the without Kawhi. Nuggets without Jamal Murray. Yeah. So it's been the same on both sides of this. They've literally we're looking at the two teams right now who have withstood the test of attrition these playoffs. And that's what this year has been defined by. Now, the NBA is not going to become this, I don't think. I think that the NBA, we're going to step into a pseudo-dynasty, a baby dynasty next year, and Brooklyn lights the world on fire. I would agree. And they win two of, and they win two of the next three, because that's what the NBA is. But if you look at NBA history, and I may have made this point last week on the pod, it is dynasties and mini-dynasties interrupted by, like, off years um, before it was the mm-hmm. it was the Lakers through the late eighties and then the the Pistons stole a, a couple, couple yeah. there then the Bulls go on their run when the Bulls go away Houston steals a couple between their Bulls again after the Bulls we come out of the Bulls we start looking at San Antonio we start looking at L A as these dynasties well Detroit stuck in there was one or two for Detroit team um, e- even when things shifted to like the LeBron era in Miami. The Mavs peeled one off them early. Then it was Miami for a little while. Boston Cleveland bounced back. Boston snuck in there. Then you're talking about Golden State mm-hmm. and that uh, dynasty that they built there. And your tweener year is the Toronto Raptors. So we're in one of the tweener years right now. I don't think that we're entering this era of parody. I think that this was, an injury, this was an injury-plagued year, and we're looking at the two teams that survived that, that sort of attrition and um, – it's going to be a one-off. I don't think that if either of these teams, when either of these teams win the championship, I don't think they rattle off multiple championships over the next five years. I just don't. I'm with you. That's about all uh, I have we, on NBA playoff talk. We got a little, we got a little mailbag action. I think uh front of the podcast, Brett yeah. Strelchek, did front of the, the pod, fellow Fryer, Brett Strelchek. Fryer up. Basically it's pretty simple. He just kind of wants us to walk through what exactly all this NIL stuff name, image, and likeness in, in the NCA kind of means now going forward for, for players, oh, teams, all that kind of stuff. Um, a big, 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 just kind of general picture for you. Um, I mean, uh, essentially what it, it means is you can make it, there's, there's rules obviously into the extent you can go, but players are now able to profit off their own name, image, and likeness. They can go do commercials. They can go do social media posts. They can go do um, you know, video games. That That's probably going to be a thing that comes back now soon because of this. Uh, autographs, all that kind of stuff. They yeah, can I mean, now do endorsements, merchandise. They, they can make money off. There's well, Again, like I said, there's limits to where you can go, what you can do. But for the most part, go sell your, you know, sell your name, sell your image. 
Yeah, I mean, no free ads here on the Moose and Runes podcast. But shout out to Yoke Gaming, uh, our yeah. guy Nick Wisher. We get free podcast. ads to some people. They, they've mainly the Wisher a bunch family. Of, a bunch of big names. Um, bunch of big names have become a part of this, you know, game with your favorite athlete type community. It's a really mm-hmm. cool venture, really cool idea that they're building upon. Um, it's stuff like that. They can go out there and make a few bucks. And I think that when you ask the question of what are the implications moving forward, well, they're widespread and unknown at this point. Um, I'm not saying that this is a bad thing. I, this is for, this has long been my solution to paying athletes is you don't mm-hmm. pay athletes. You let their, stardom you let their image dictate how much money that each one of these kids brings because i'm sorry but the um the star on the men's diving team does not bring the same revenue and eyes as the quarterback on the football team so let's let the marketplace decide how much money these kids should make now there has to be some sort of each each program is going to do it differently of like yeah, we got a Tuesday practice, but we can't have you at this photo shoot. You know, this is going to be a lot of off-season money. This is going to be a lot of, excuse me. Bless um, you. Goodness, uh, allergy season. It's going to be a lot of, uh, there's going to be a lot of feeling out. There's going to be a lot of, um, there's going to be a lot of implications. One of the big implications that I don't think is being talked about much is what this means for recruitment. Because certain states have a leg up because now that you're now that you're able to a- accumulate revenue now that you can turn yourself into a business you are now at the mercy of tax code and tax code is different in the state of Texas than mm-hmm. it is in the state of California does this hurt USC does this hurt the Pac-12 I think it does because if these kids are looking at themselves as businessmen these stars these top tier talents these five star kids who are likely going to be playing on Sundays and they want to start building that image and they want to start building that brand. Well, if I'm being offered a million dollar uh, contract by some, by tops or somebody to sign a bunch of autographs, mm-hmm. well, I want to, I want to earn that revenue in the state of Texas. I want to earn that revenue in the state of Las Vegas. I want to earn that revenue in the state of Florida. I don't want to earn that revenue in the state in of California. California where you're peeling half that money out of my pocket before I even put pen to paper. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are some implications here far reaching and, and that's going to take a few years and a few recruiting classes to sort of see the true implications of what NIL means. And I think that there are, uh, there are states, there are programs, there are situations that are going to be more beneficial than others. Now that we have welcomed business into the idea of amateurism and collegiate athletics. Yeah. Uh, I think that was all very well said. And honestly, the tax thing wasn't even something that had crossed my mind yet, but that's a great point. I, I, I think it, eventually, or at least early on, I might, I should, I should say you, you probably do see the California schools, the West coast schools, the schools with, with, with the high state income tax are located in those states be a little bit more at a disadvantage um but there are to be fair i mean not not to not to just like make usc the butt of the joke here but there's been some tax-free payments happening at usc that we've been made aware of through uh through investigations and otherwise Mm -hmm. where these programs are always going to find a way to get money in the pockets of the players whether legal illegal or somewhere in between um, so are they going to be able to sep- supplement those lost wages in some way, shape or form? 
I don't know. But it's just something to keep in mind when we're looking at the long-term effects of NIL. Now, there, there are a couple restrictions to this that I did want to cross off because uh, okay. I think it kind of hits the the general overview of it. Uh, no quid pro quo, so no compensation for no work. Uh, no compensation that is contingent on initial or continued enrollment at school. So you can't basically be like, hey, if you don't transfer or if you come here, you get this Chevy commercial. It has to yeah. – now – that's kind of what you were talking about, maybe a little bit with what we we're just saying with USC. Under the, there, there, there's, there's, could be made there's under the still table, probably you know? going to be an under the table yeah. bag handed <laughs> to a five star recruit saying, "Hey, here's an upfront payment for you know Musso Mercedes in in you know Starkville, Mississippi, or whatever you want to call it." We are um, looking to expand to Starkville, so just yeah. that's uh, breaking that, news. That, here. You know that that's why I wanted to break that news here <laughs> on the podcast. Heard it here Thank first. You. Musso Mercedes is headed to Starkville. Uh, no compensation contingent on athletes' performance, so no performance-based incentives. Again, that's also something that could be a little bit tweaked under the table. You could say to a quarterback, yeah. "Hey, man, you throw it's, forty touchdowns this year, you're going to get a com- you're going to get a million for that commercial instead of seven fifty something like it's that." It's the wild, wild west, and everybody just got handed a revolver. It's mm-hmm. going to be it's going to be crazy to see how this all plays out. There are also you, a- athletes can't receive benefits not inconsistent with institutional policies. So I know BYU has some heavy restrictions. I'm sure you'll see, you know, the Notre Dame's Northwestern's have some. I, I know overall, I think there's no alcohol, no uh, gambling, you know, things of that nature. And then uh, athletes can't sign or can't wear um, apparel that isn't uh, licensed or under contract with the school or in agreement with the school's contract. So Notre Dame being an Under Armour school, they can't have a five-star sign a deal with Nike and then say he's wearing Nike stuff. You're still an Under Armour athlete if you're at Notre Dame. So all those things make sense. And again, there, there's ways around all of these things too. So it'll, it'll be very interesting for the next three the to five years one, to see. The alcohol one's a sticking point for me because I was trying to I was, back in the back in the college days. I would have loved a Burnett's uh, sponsorship. Oof. Yeah, some blueberry vodka. God, what? A, or uh, maple pancake I, vodka. How do I like to celebrate wins after after? How do I like to celebrate after a big win at Tucci Stadium? Head on over to Elroy's and tell them Joe sent you for half off vodka Red Bulls. Like God. that's that's more where the sponsorship would have would have fallen for me. Yeah, I think you would. I think you would have gotten a little bit of a cut, but it would have been a big money deals. <laughs> big money deals. Um, we got buy or sell before we say goodbye here. Yeah, we. I know we're both on a time crunch. I'm going to make it real simple here. Joe Buyer, buyers, what's it, 264 this weekend, right? UFC. Two six. Buyers. I know it's. I know it's a buy probably because Connor's fighting. But buy or sell UFC t- 264. Maybe give the people a pick. Uh, UFC 264 is a absolute 100% no questions asked buy and like an actual buy. Buy the pay per view. Don't look for the stream. Don't uh, try and pirate it. I'll raise my hand on that. Or I mean, I don't mm-hmm. even have to do that anymore. I, I go to work and or I have our uh, I have our stream yeah. off of our you know VPN at work where I get to watch it. Um, maybe scrub that. Um, <laughs> but but at the same time, this 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 card is an absolute. Buy it not just because, like you said, it's a Conor McGregor card, but what this means in the grand scheme of Conor McGregor's career. If he loses, if he gets clipped by Dustin Poirier, it might be end credits That's it. because he does because he doesn't need this anymore. If he wins and he beats Dustin Poirier, well, then we're having the conversation of is he in line for a belt at one fifty five? So this is like. I, I know I've used it here at nauseum, but this is the definition of a watershed moment in the career of Conor McGregor. It could be on credits. It could be a run towards a belt. Nothing in between. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be interesting to see how Conor um, changes his approach from 
from the jump, not just from when the bell rings, but we saw very respectful Connor in the second fight between these two. We're back in 2014. He was lobbing some, some really, really nasty mm-hmm. uh, insults at Poirier. And it admittedly on Dustin's own account, got into his head and took him off his game. We'll see what happens when Connor comes to the mic here at the press conference on Thursday and what kind of stunts he pulls maybe at the weigh-in on Friday and what that crowd looks like on Saturday at T-Mobile Arena. Because there's going to be 20,000-plus fans. There were 2,600 fans at the last one in Abu Dhabi. So there's so many differences in terms of this fight to the last one with Poirier that um, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how it plays out and if Connor changes the game plan because he was so heavy on that front foot in the second fight and got that leg chopped down with the kicks. We're going to see if he's amended that approach, because that's always been who he's been heavy on the front foot, ready to throw that left hand. Um, He can't be that because of the new era of leg kicks that Dustin Poirier, well, he's never been a kick guy, but he added that to his bag before this second fight. And it it was one of the reasons why he won. Connor was chopped down like a tree. Um, But beyond Connor and Dustin Poirier, you got Gilbert Burns and Steven Wonderboy Thompson. Uh, Wonderboy is a walking highlight. Hell of a nickname. if you're if you're uninitiated, go Google Stephen Wonderboy Thompson uh, highlights. He is a former kickboxing champion, so like he'll be standing in the pocket throwing punches at you, and before you can even react, spinning back kick on your ear. Like he's he's special. That's the co-main event. Gilbert Burns um, has built a, a nice uh, a career for himself as well. Made a couple title runs, but uh, beyond that, Greg Hardy's on the card in the third to last fight. And well, let's hope he gets knocked out. Let's hope because he's a terrible person and doesn't mm-hmm. even realize he's a terrible person. Um, he was like yesterday at the press conference saying like, why do you guys always position me as the villain? It's like, well, you are remember you're the villain. You're a bad Uh, human being. That's why, sir. He's fighting a man named Tai Tuivasa. So, uh, I I just like that name. I'm going to bet that's a name. That's a name I'm going to bet on. So one thing that's very interesting here is that you've got Sean O'Malley on the card as well. Um, and everybody po- positioned Sean O'Malley. As, that was your you guy know, a couple months ago. Before, yeah, maybe maybe, he maybe loss, he's right? maybe he's the next Connor. And the loss was again injury related yeah. on his ankle or his foot or whatever that was. Comes mm-hmm. back, bounces back with a win. Now thirteen and one, uh, fighting fighting Chris Mutinho, I believe it's pronounced. But like everybody was like, oh, this might be the next Connor. This is the next showman. This is the next uh, appointment television for the sport. Well, they're on the same card. And anytime you get two guys of that ilk on the same card, true entertainers in their craft, it's a buy for me. I'm I'm all in. I uh, not it's on a Connor course. fight night. Why, you course. always ask the question. No, I, I well that again. That's why I said before. Yeah, for I mean, sure. We already know this one is a buy. It's a Connor fight night. Why else it's a buy? And it could be the last, which I'm, is uh, something that we should all play witness to. Either way, we do have a, a wedding on Saturday night. The Christopher Sims friend of the podcast getting married. But what I will. Kind I will, of planning is I that? Will, I, I, we should we should sneak a TV in there or something, or maybe I'll put it up on my phone. We'll, I think we'll you get the pay-per-view on the phone. Yeah, we'll you could, we'll you're at a wedding. Crowdsource the 70 bucks, whatever it is. and uh, I could definitely, I, I know a, a few, two or three there that might be willing to, to throw down a few and then maybe place a few bets on the fight that might want to hover around phone. my phone around 1130. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, but that's all I got. You got anything else for the people? I, I'm, I'm good. Let's let's get right. Eloy healthy well, and let's, guys, let's get uh, back to baseball on the south side. How about you that? You guys enjoy your weekend. You enjoy your summer weeks here. Uh, we're already in July. It doesn't even feel like summer started yet. It is zooming right past us. But uh, 
Enjoy it. Enjoy the action. Hit the links. Enjoy the people. championship Get on the moments. Course. Hit the links because we are a golf podcast. We did not mention. We did golf. have to. I had to throw golf in there. You just got to just got to throw it in there. Uh, we have what the John Deere Classic at TPC Deer Run. My my, my pick streak ended last week uh, with the Gary Woodland pick. So I'm not going to give out a pick this week. We're going to save our bullets for next week's yeah. Open Championship. Uh, we will address that on next week's podcast right before the Open begins. But for now, he is Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. We bid you adieu. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.